Our gospel text, which is also printed in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along, is from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of St. John, just a few verses. Listen for God's word. Jesus said, now the Son of Humanity has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I don't know about you, but these past few weeks, there's been a lot of good things, but there's a lot of been things that have not been so good. We've witnessed yet another school shooting. Migrants continue to flee unspeakable conditions in their home countries. Racism seems to be reinventing itself over and over and over again, and nationalism is on a rise around the world. It's into a world like this, our world, that we hear Jesus' words. Love one another, just as I have loved you. So you also should love one another. But what does love look like? It is as varied as there are people on the planet. Yet one thing I know about love is that when I experience it, I know it. And my assumption is that this is true for each of you as well. Gerda Weissman Klein, a Polish-American writer and human rights activist, wrote in her autobiography, All But My Life, about a day during the Holocaust while she was imprisoned in the concentration camp at Auschwitz. A friend of hers, a six-year-old, Ilsa, one morning on her way to the factory found a single raspberry in a gutter. She took the raspberry and then plucked a leaf through the barbed wire, washed the leaf, and carefully wrapped the raspberry in the leaf and put it in the pocket of her dress. That evening, Ilsa presented the slightly bruised raspberry to Gerda with a beaming smile. Gerda wrote, imagine a world in which your entire possession is a single raspberry and you give it to your friend. What does love look like? This is what love looks like. A dear friend of mine, colleague, and also a student, Dr. Cynthia Morgan, a medical missionary in Bangladesh, shared a letter written by her husband, Les, who's also a physician and also a Presbyterian mission co-worker, about their son, Everett, and the struggle that he had with Ewing's scarcoma in his pelvis. Les wrote, Everett lay on the floor of his bedroom and descended into mental abyss. I sat close by and talked with him, his thoughts becoming more and more delusional. He was rapidly losing his ability to relate to me in his usual ways. Perhaps my familiar words were a point of reference for him, or maybe it was just my presence as his father. But somehow in the midst of his deterioration, he was able for a moment to see through the psychotic darkness and recognize my face. With agonizing clarity, he reached up and pulled me 
to himself, clinging to me as he wept. I reminded him, Everett, I was the first person to hold you when you were born, and I am holding you still. What does love look like? Love looks like this. In our gospel this morning, Jesus, in one of his post-resurrection encounters, tells his followers, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are one of my disciples if you have love for one another. For me, this is a baseline, the default setting of life, the still point of our existence, if you will, that we love one another. And we all know love is hard. Love is difficult. Love is messy. And love can allow us to get outside ourselves. Jesus said, I have loved you, so now you go and love others. So how is love expressed in your life? You know, the longer I live, the broader is my understanding of God's love, and love in general, for that matter. One way that God loves us, loves me, is making me, us, encounter folks who are different from us, from me. Different in lifestyle or race, different in belief and practice, different in sexual orientations or status, different in ethnicity or education or politics or worldview different in, there are a myriad of differences. This is what happened to Peter, as we heard from the Acts of the Apostles, as recorded by St. Luke. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, those would be the Gentiles, the circumcised believers would be the Jews, said to him, why do you go to the uncircumcised and eat with them? The uncircumcised would be the Gentiles, the unclean, the outcasts. Then Peter began to explain to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven with four corners being lowered, and it came very close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air, all of those considered unclean to the Jews. And then I heard a voice say to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, my God, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the metaphor here is not so much that God wanted Peter to eat the animals, but it was a metaphor that those things that were considered unclean by the religious righteous, the religiously righteous, God was saying are not unclean. Expand your understanding, Peter, which is God's word to us. Expand our understanding. But then the second time, the voice came from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call unclean. This happened three times. And then everything pulled up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. And the Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. Do not call unclean that which God has called clean. For everything that God has created, 
everything and everyone, human and animal, plant life, is sacred, pure, clean. Judgment doesn't belong to us. That's what we use to distance ourselves, to somehow make us more important. That's our no, really our no to God. And yet what God does is transform that no and challenge us with yes. When we judge one another, or when I judge others, as I won't speak for you, but it's pretty easy to judge people. Oh, you know, that's how they are. I can't tell you how often I've been told that I was a they. Oh, those people can't be trusted. Oh, you know, what do you expect based on her education? We go on and on and on with this. We distance ourselves, somehow making ourselves feel better because we're not like them. And yet the very judgment that we lovey toward another comes back and slaps us in the face. For judgment and love cannot coexist. Jesus was very, very clear about this. There was no ambiguity when he said, I give you a new commandment, love one another. Love doesn't mean to love those who like you. Love doesn't mean to love those who look like you or think like you or vote like you or worship like you or believe like you. Annie Lamont put it, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when God turns out to hate all the people that you hate. (laughs) And we see this happening all over the world. Love one another. The new commandment is the essential stance, the prerequisite for being a follower of Jesus. Love one another, marching orders, you know. By loving one another as Christ has loved us, we bear witness to the continuing work of God's glory in the world. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. So what does your love look like? What does your love look like? Is it free, unencumbered, or are there conditions? I'll love you if you. Does your love have an open heart or a closed one? As Goethe wrote some decades later, after receiving that raspberry from Ilsa, who died just a week before that camp was liberated, she wrote, imagine, Imagine a world in which your entire possession is a single raspberry and you give it to your friend. Imagine. Love one another as I have loved you. I've tried to imagine what that little girl, Ilsa, trapped in the hell of Auschwitz, afraid, exhausted, and starving, what was going on in her that day when she found that raspberry? Did she immediately think of giving it to her friend Gerda? Or did she want to keep it for herself? Did she ponder how the raspberry maybe could be split and the two of them could enjoy it together? We'll never know. But her choice to give the berry to Gerda resonated 
long after the action. And this is how love is. This is what love looks like. This is how love works. Given to one, it ripples out to the many. That experience forever changed Gerda Klein's life, who recently, when Obama was in office, received the highest, off, um, highest honor that a non-military person or government official could receive. Because she worked tirelessly with her husband, who helped to liberate that camp, to help bring about tolerance and an expanded view of love. Love one another. This is the core of our faith. And love to be loved must be given away. It must be shared. And love to be loved must not be un, it must be unencumbered without any expectation or thought of return. Love to be loved must be free. It must be open to change. It must be malleable so that we can see one another not as the other, but as us. There's a story about a group of women who were interned together in a Japanese prisoner of war camp in Indonesia. They emerged relatively unbroken considering the circumstances, but they had a secret agreement between them. Whatever food they got their hands on, they promised to share it and eat it together. No one would ever eat by themselves alone. This was their pact. The choice of us over me not only saved these women from malnutrition, but from spiritual collapse as well. They demonstrated that it's possible under any circumstances to choose us over me. And choosing us over me is choosing life. And friends, this is what love looks like. This is God's yes to any no that we may put up in front of us. So how do you love? How do you love? And what does love look like for you?